This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the Liverpool.com podcast. I'm Dan Morgan. I'm joined this week by Liverpool.com staff writers Mark Wakefield and Joel Rabinovitz. Lads, I hope you're good. Uh, we are broadcasting the day after Liverpool secured Champions League qualification over Ajax with a 1 0 win at Anfield, and I think that's where we need to start um, because. I think it's a massive win, Joel, and I think it'll become a massive win um, as the season sort of develops. And I think it'll be a win that, when we look back on this season in whatever context, we see it as as a big moment and a big landmark for this team, and particularly some of the players who who played in it that night. Definitely. Uh, You could tell from the way Klopp was after the game, um, it's by far the kind of happiest he's looked in a while really he's seen him very stressed and quite frankly miserable recently with all the stuff that's been going on with injuries and VAR and his problems with the fixture schedule so just to see him smiling and hugging the players and that um, and I think he came out afterwards and said that it's one of his kind of favourite Champions League nights as Liverpool manager which is quite a Mm. statement given the games we've had Um, but yeah you're right in the context of what's come before kind of off the back of that Leicester win which was so emphatic then there was the Atalanta loss and the, the huge frustration of Brighton at the weekend. Um, to have three kind of consecutive disappointing results in a row would have felt like a kind of a mini slump, um, which I think you wanted to avoid at all costs, really. And as I'm sure we'll come on to in terms of rest and rotation, it's massive in terms of having that dead rubber game next week where he can play whoever he likes uh, without any consequences. And he's already top of the group, so there's literally nothing to worry about there. And for us, it's quite unfamiliar just to be able to go into the final group game without any stress, not needing a result. I think it's the first time in Klopp's tenure that that's been the case, that they've had qualification wrapped up a game early. So, yeah, couldn't ask for anything more. And the players, the young guys who, who will come on to, um, all did brilliantly. So, yeah, it was a really kind of morale-lifting night. It's a real sense that he sort of backs the process and gets the win from that mark. To me, it's, it's the... It's the the elements of, of everything that's passed in terms of the arguments about VAR, the arguments about the squad, the arguments about substitutions, the arguments about scheduling and broadcasters. But he has to, I think he feels like he has to nail his colours to the mast last night in terms of team selection, but also how he uses the side over 90 minutes. It was never going to be a game that, that Liverpool ran away with, nor was it going to be one that ran away from them. But it was one where he sort of needed to roll the dice in terms of players who were risking injury. And also, it was one where he needed players for 90 minutes. And I think to to sort of get that first and foremost, I mean, look at Robertson for an example, opens his ligaments up early on and manages to play through. So, so to go through all of that and then to have Brighton and not get the win, it would have felt so disheartening. And I think I think now, I think today, if they've gone in for the recovery session or whatever, I think that training ground is bouncing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but last night, well, Tuesday night, that was probably one of the first Liverpool games I've quite enjoyed watching for quite a while. You know, it was on from a football perspective, you know, both teams trying to score. It was very open, end-to-end entertaining game. But also it was just nice not to have, you know, the whole, you know, farcical nonsense of VAR take over the game, which was not, you know, which has dominated what the Liverpool games recently, certainly the Premier League, but it was just a nice game to watch. But yeah, you're right with the um touching on the Robinson thing, you know, 
when he went down with touching his ankle, you, you feared the worst at that moment. But you know, he is a soldier. You know, you just needed some strapping on his ankle. He was good to go. We found out after the game. You know, Henderson apparently took a knock in the back. You know, that just shows you what kind of soldier he is to the team. You know, he's not going to go down without a fight. You know, we saw that against Barcelona left in the season when they won the Champions League, played through this whole second half of that game throughout injury. So, you know, like you said, the team is absolutely going to be, yeah, right, so bouncing. You know, it's going to be, it's certainly the most uplifting that we have felt probably after a, after a game. You know, they beat Leicester last week, but, you know, there was a couple of injuries, you know, just things knocking around. But now things are just starting to feel a bit, Start slightly sunny on the horizon, you know. Trent's on his way back. I know, you know, it's not good Allison being out, but you know, the performance from Kelleher I thought was absolutely outstanding. Want to touch on him as well as some of the other young lads soon as well. But yeah, it was almost a perfect performance, not just you know, getting the group wrapped up, getting top spot wrapped up. That's obviously a given, but just the morale side of it in showing what, despite all the adversity that's been thrown at them over the last few weeks, that you know, they come out of the other side of it. I mean the big the big thing, Joel, is pre pre kick off is the selection of of Keith Kelleher, and I think I want to ponder sort of between us why we think that is, and it's it's I think it's really easy to just say yeah Adrian's burnt his head out against Aston Villa or whatever else, but I think there's a real sort of context of of the situation here with this. Firstly, I think it plays out in the way the game goes, so you see that. Ajax are determined to press. They're determined to try and stop Liverpool from getting out. And there's a few instances there where you wondered if the goalkeeper was different, whether Liverpool might have got caught in those defensive areas on the ball while trying to play through a press, for example. But also, like I said, there's the, there's the change in situation. So last season when Adrian comes in, I think with the players Liverpool have available, Virgil van Dijk, Joe Gomez, Joe Matip, I think they're able to say, well, we shut the game down on our terms. Like, if we decide we're going to win a game 1-0, then we can literally do that. And that includes not passing to this keeper for 10 minutes if he does what he does at Southampton away, for example. But I think last night, I think there's a real sense that they've looked at then and looked at now and thought, well, we don't have the personnel to bank on that. So we can't then decide how we're going to manage this goalkeeper. And therefore, we have to sort of make a decision based on that as much as anything. Yeah, I think there's two main aspects really with, with the Kelleher thing. Klopp's comments after the game were very interesting where he talked about needing his, his natural footballing ability is, is the phrase he used. Um, yeah. I think you, you saw that massively. Um, I was so impressed of how two-footed he was either side. Um, his distribution was really good. He wasn't always getting it spot on, um, but in terms of the surety of his kicking, there was no kind of sliced kicks going out for throw-ins or ones that were kind of not powerful enough and getting cut out by the Ajax attackers. He was going long, he was going hard. Um, and he just, yeah, there was a real aura of kind of confidence about everything he was doing on either side, which I think is kind of an underrated skill for goalkeepers to be comfortable on either foot. Um, so I think that was one aspect. And I think the other thing about goalkeepers in general, which we've obviously seen with Allison and we saw it with Adrian last season, and we've seen it the negative way in the past, is that it's much, as a position, it's much more, it's got a lot more than just ability um, but it's important. It's also about the kind of the aura and how the teammates respond to it. And it's almost like when there's enough incidents that go wrong with a certain goalkeeper, um, <clears throat> we as fans kind of get nervous when they're on the ball and we're nervous when we see them on the pitch. But also the, the players themselves, 
I think there's enough players in the Liverpool team who've been on a pitch of Adrian making mistakes in big moments, but they just don't trust him now. And I think that's that's massive. We had it with Mignolet and Carius when they both reached a point where their teammates didn't trust him. You could tell the fans got nervous. Um, and I think with someone like Kelleher coming in, who's only really played uh, in the domestic cup games and obviously they see him in training, um, but he's got none of that baggage with him. It's a, it's a fresh, it's a fresh start. It's a clean slate for him and, it was really nice to see as well after the game. Obviously, Klopp went straight over to him, but the players themselves looked really happy, not just for him, but for Curtis and Nico as well. And, you know, Kelleher's interview for BT Sport was lovely as well and a big smile on his face. And I do think that for that position, it does make a massive difference when you don't have any of that sort of extra baggage that comes with it. I mean, it's, it's also, in many ways, Mark, it's a bit of a free hit for the manager in that, look, if it goes wrong last night, then he, he puts Adrian in for Wolves. It's as simple as that. But if he gets, if he rolls the dice in the way in which he does, and he gets, he gets the performance he gets from Kelleher. Well, you would assume now that with Adrian be with Allison, sorry, being out, that Kelleher keeps the share for Wolves. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, from from the outside looking in, it seems absolutely definite that Kelleher starts against Wolves, barring obviously any other fitness issues. But yeah, I mean, you know, it was. Going back to the confidence side thing that Joel referenced there, you know, with Kelleher, when he's obviously at the start of the game, you just obviously you've not seen him in this kind of environment before. There was a bit of nerves around the old can he cut, uh, can he, you know, meet the expectations, meet the standards. But as the game went on, just the confidence, certainly from my perspective, and you could tell with the players what grew in him, uh, round in him. You know, there are many times where, you know, I mean, linking with Adrian, for example, that. Matip and uh, Fabinho would never pass Adrian in some of those situations that they did to Kelleher and they did hit him with ease and got out of them quite comfortably, whether it was, you know, blasting the ball down to the far end of the pitch or cutting it out to the full-backs. You know, he was very, very comfortable with his feet, which, you know, Klopp referenced this after, after his uh, in interview. But, yeah, I mean, to go on to Wolves, you know, that's going to be a very tough game, certainly for, you know, the defence side of things. You know, they're a very pacey attack that they have that they like to press you know, they're very very similar to Liverpool in that regard so they are going to need someone who is comfortable with the ball at their feet and you know if you had to push anybody right now who is the better goalkeeper certainly at their feet is certainly going to be Kelleher over Adrian that's for sure Yeah I mean Joel just just a couple of other performances and, and things to, to note on in terms of the youngsters I thought it was fascinating the club said post-match that he had a long chat with Nico Williams after Brighton mm -hmm. And, you know, we don't know what constitutes a long chat in Jürgen Klopp's world, but, you know, it's it's the emphasis on the word long and it feels like there's some home truths been said there. Um, you know, you, you, I think he hints at the fact that he says that he's he's a better player than what he's he sort of put across at the minute. And I think I think that kind of comes out post-match. You know, there's, there's this, the, the, the video of Klopp when he runs on the pitch and he's made up for Kelleher, but by God, he's... He's thrilled for Williams, and and it feels like, you know, that's that's a real sort of test testament that he can sort of put to him now. That's a real sort of that's a real sort of thing that he can get Nico round round the arm by and say, look, you know, you just dealt with David Neres there for for ninety minutes. Don't be worried about what Brighton have got. Don't be worried about whatever you know, lower half Premier League table. With all due respect, up winger is throwing at you. You know, this is this is the level you can play at, and you're proving it. Yeah, it's been interesting to observe. Kind of since they've come into the first team set up the difference uh, in terms of confidence between Nico and Curtis. So when they both came in last season um, in the League Cup and the FA Cup early rounds, they're both really confident um, on the ball and kind of looked 
looked very kind of like they weren't overawed by the occasion or anything. What you have seen, I think, when Nico's had a few kind of slightly dodgy games here and there, like the Brighton one, and there's a couple of others, whenever it was, and he was getting all that ridiculous abuse on social media last season, I think it was, um, is that he does get a little bit knocked. And I think he, he kind of goes into his shell a little bit. You saw that in the first half at the weekend against Brighton when, yeah, he had a couple of iffy moments early on and he just never quite recovered from it. He was kind of taking the easy option of his pass. And I think it also showed the fact that his teammates were almost kind of missing him out. Um, I wrote a piece after the game on how Liverpool's attack basically only came down the left-hand side because they were purposely avoiding passing to that area of the pitch. And it was a total contrast to see last night. That's why it was so nice. He did have a couple of sort of slightly edgy moments early on but he, he grew into it really well and by the kind of second half really he's one of the kind of driving forces in the game and I know he gets a bit fortunate with the cross and I don't think he intends it to go exactly how it does with Onana leaving it like that it's just a kind of a hopeful ball in but he puts it into the right area and I was so happy that he did get that little bit of luck and, and gets the assist and yeah you're right to say as a as a reference point for him now moving forwards as much as you can talk down the quality of the Dutch league in general He's played a Champions League game which Liverpool needed to get a result in, or at least were trying to get a result in to, to qualify from the group early at Anfield. Um, and this is a team who were obviously in the Champions League semi final not so long ago, obviously different players and stuff, but it is a high calibre match. Um, and he's come out of it as one of the outstanding performers. So, yeah, um, like Mark's reference, I think Trent um, should hopefully be drawing kind of pretty close to a return soon. Um, but Nico's going to get more chances over these next few weeks and across the season. Um, and I think just to have that in his back pocket now to look back on um, will benefit him hugely. And it also plays out in, in sort of the players' social media accounts. I think, Mark, are full-time. You know, you see how many of them are referencing the young lads and how many of them sort of... I think I think there's a real moment there last night whereby they're looking at the team and they're saying, well, if this is sort of what we're going into battle with for the next couple of weeks, then we sort of know that on the basis of last night, we're all right with it. And Joel makes the point about Brighton, and it's 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 true that, you know, I think Liverpool were, were cautious of Nico Williams against Brighton until he gets hooked at half-time. But I think maybe the manager's extended that talk. He's added Williams to the rest of the squad and said, look, if they're in the team, use them, trust them. They need to be used, they need to be trusted. If you're going to win a game, you're going to win it with 11. And I think to, to sort of then get the goal, which comes from two academy players... Two of the youngster play. I mean, we'll move on to Curtis in a minute, but I'm not sure you can have that conversation about Curtis anymore. I think, I think we just have to take it as read that he's an established Liverpool first team player now, not a first eleven player, but he's he's a first team Liverpool player. He's a part of Liverpool's midfield options. But for for sort of for the performance of Kelleher for Nico to get the assist, I think it just bodes well for for the senior members of the squad as as well as them. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know. After the full-time whistle, you saw pretty much all the senior players. I think Robertson was one of the ones that stood out to me, you know, gave a right big hug to Kelleher. It's like Pino about absolutely thrilled to bits for them. And, you know, probably the same for all the other senior players going over to Nico as well. You know, right to touch on like some of the um, the stick that Nico has been getting recently. And some of it's been fair, so a lot of it hasn't. But, you know, credit to him, you know, he has bounced back, you know, remarkably. You know, one thing that we have said before is like when he gets, you know, Go, has a mistake in the game. If some, like Joel said, goes into a shell a bit, but and but against Ajax, he did make a couple of mistakes, not major ones, admittedly, but he he bounced back from it. And I think that's testament to what, first of all, he is as a player, but also he is as a person. That yes, he can make mistakes. He knows he can. He's still young. He's only nineteen. He's going to learn. He's got time to develop. But you know, 
is going to have to bounce back from in mid-game, and that's something you're going to have to learn as a player. And then, you know, touching on as well, I think I mentioned before, you know, James Milner was on the bench, you know, obviously not part of the uh, the playing squad or anything like that, but he was on the bench, you know, cheering the lads on, like, you know, those sorts of things, you know, experienced pro, someone like him who's been there, done everything there is to do, win everything there is to be won. You know, not just, you know, obviously making up the numbers on the bench, but just basically being part of helping, you know, galvanise the confidence of them as much as anything else. You know, they've got Leighton Clarks and then Jake Kane on the bench as well. Seeing someone like that on the bench, not in, in a playing capacity, but that being there just for morale's sake, it's going to help them going forward. And then touching on Curtis Jones, I mean, we've got, he's absolutely outstanding, isn't he? You know, we see this time last year when he was basically on the fringes of the first team, getting closer, but not really making a name for himself in terms of getting on a regular basis. But this year, I mean, He's already played 12 games, I think, in all comps, matching what he got last year already. And like you said, Danny, he looks certainly a full, full-fledged Liverpool first-team player, not just, a, not just a kid anymore, that's for sure. Joel, I mean, it's right, isn't it, Joel? There's loads of talk last night on, on BT around some of the Ajax players um, getting, getting, you know, how they cheering them out and stuff like that. If Curtis Jones is at any other club in Europe, he's going for 50, he's going for 50 million. You know, if he's outside the Premier League, he's a fifty million pound player, and everyone's everyone's saying, "Well, who's this kid? Where's he come from?" You know, it's. I think it's easy to sort of get lost sometimes by what you've already got when you you constantly look around at others. Yeah, it's, it, his trajectory has been a fascinating one, really, because he he came into the the first team setup in pre season pretty early on. I think when he was only sort of sixteen or seventeen, I remember him playing a game. I can't remember exactly who it was against. Um, but he was he was involved quite early on, but he never really sort of kicked on that quickly from there. He sort of spent more of his time playing for the the youth teams, um, and I think we've all our expectations have all been warped by Alexander Arnold because he's come in and just basically as soon as he's come in, nailed down that first team place and gone on to become arguably the best right back in the world at this point in time. And that's not how it usually works with young players coming in. And I think what we've seen with Curtis this season I think is night and day compared to where he was even kind of earlier this calendar year when he's, he's scoring the goal against Everton in the FA Cup and he plays the game against Shrewsbury Town um he's a different player now he, he's so much more tactically switched on um his off the ball work is I've been kind of staggered really at how much he's he's just stepped forward really in his development he looks looks like he understands what it means to be a Liverpool midfielder in the system I think that's been the most pleasing aspect um his, his natural flair and ability on the ball was evident last season and his confidence has never been in doubt. Um, but we've we've said it time and time again with players like Cater, Oxlade-Chamberlain, even Fabinho when he first came in. There's a lot of other stuff to kind of incorporate into your game if you're going to become a regular in this team. And he's had to do it probably quicker than he would have expected this season. It's been out of necessity because of all the injuries. But I think if you are going to take one positive out of a situation, we'd all like to be watching Thiago right now. Of course we would, but... The fact that he's kind of being thrust into the limelight uh, in games like this, and I don't think any of us have any problems ever seeing him on the team sheet, whatever the opposition. Now, I think you completely trust him, and so does a manager. Yeah, I almost like that he doesn't try and run himself into the ground. You know, I almost like the fact that he, you know, he doesn't try and sort of impress by by gag impressing. If you like, he's, he's sort of very, very confident in his own ability. Like you say, he's, he technically backs himself. And I think that's where they try to work with him. To be honest, I think they've they've looked at him and said, "Well, we." I think they say they've got no worries about him. Sort of the final third of the pitch. I think they've probably tried to work on him a little bit going backwards. 
And I think it's 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 showing, you know, I think I think last night there's tons of maturity. He goes he goes and helps Nico out, for example, for the first the first thirty and just gives him gives him a 10, 15 yard pass. And that's you know, that's two players of the same age, but he looks every inch the senior pro. And that's no disrespect to Williams. But yeah, huge, huge encouragement from Curtis Jones. And I think just just in general, Mark, now just to, just to wrap up last night, I mean the concept of getting qualified is massive. They've got that game next week against Michelin's, but Liverpool can sort of park the Champions League until sort of late February now. And for everyone's sake, I mean, considering the fact that they're, you know, they're walking wounded, especially, that's that's a huge positive. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, I think that's part of the reason why Klopp was absolutely thrilled to bits, you know, with the, um, at the final loss yesterday, purely because he knows that he can give his players after Wolves, you know, a week's rest, pretty much going up to Fulham, um, and that's something that they've not had. Obviously, they had the international break, but that's something that since the matches have come, sort of started again, that they've not had. Um, and yeah, I mean, you now just looking at the. Um, sorry, can you just remind me again. Sorry, I forgot what you said. Sorry. Not all right. It's fine. I mean, it's just basically just touching on the concept of getting qualified and and the the benefits of getting qualified out the group. I mean, you, you rightly touched on. On the Fulham turnaround there with Michelin's in the middle, I mean, it's not so much, it's not so much guessing what a team against Michelin would be, but I think it's more the point that, you know, that pressure's off now, and this Liverpool side can, in a way, start to look at how they can get bodies back on the pitch. Yeah, definitely, you're right. I mean, in terms of the team against Michelin, um, you know, we're all sitting here thinking, you know, is it basically going to be the under-23s a bit like when it was against Aston Villa in the cup last year? Um, I certainly think we'll see some of the, the big boys rested. I can't imagine seeing any of the front three starting. I'd be amazed if uh, Gino Wijnaldum starts, Henderson, Robertson, even Trent Alexander-Arlen if he comes back against Wolves. That's obviously depending on his fitness levels. We don't know that for sure yet, yeah, but even if he is fit, I don't think they'll risk him. Um, Allison probably obviously won't be fit either, so I think Keller will get another go. But yeah, but at the same time, I think you've got to have some experience in there. You can't just say, oh, here's the whole under-23 go and have a go in Europe. I don't think you should put all of them out, but I think certainly the vast majority of them is going to be, you know, fringe players for, um, you know, under 23s, Leighton Clarks and Jake Kane, as we've just mentioned. Um, Divock Origi, I think he'll probably get a game as well. You know, we need to get some game time. Shakiri if he comes back from injury. And then you've got Minamino, who, when he has played, hasn't been quite at it for one reason or another yet. But And that might be an opportunity where, you know, the pressure's off. There's nothing riding on this game at all. Go out and express yourself. See what you can do. And then, in terms of you know resting the players that linking up to form, you know it's going to be absolutely vital that with the injuries, with the quick turnaround, that they get these players back fit and firing as quick as possible. You know, Oxley Chamber, we don't know when he's going to be back yet. Thiago, not until next year. Naby, you know, sounds more hopeful than what we thought it would be when he went down against Leicester. So all of a sudden, you're starting, to, you're getting all these players back. Sooner than you probably would have thought initially, but yeah, to be able to give these players, you know, time to rest and you know recover is absolutely massive at this stage of the stage of the season for sure. Wolves now feels huge. I think Joel, you know, on many in many fronts, it, it feels especially, you know, I mean, I think we're sort of a dodgy VAR decision away from saying Jurgen Klopp's had the perfect week, and I think there's a there's a bit of Brighton that is going to still be stinging in the build-up to Wolves, that they should have sort of, by rights, got over the line with the 1-0. Wolves feels huge to me. It feels like 
it feels like it's needed and it feels like unfair in many senses to sort of ask Liverpool to, to enter another must-win game off the back of the one that they've just sort of 10 hours ago come off with with this one. But at, at the same time, you know, they, they don't stop. And, and I think I think that there'll be a point in which, you know, if they get the result against Wolves, I, I actually think Michelin might look a, a little bit stronger than people are, are suggesting, to be honest. And, and I think the reason for that is that, A, he knows he's got the sort of the turnaround to, to Fulham, but also I think he might want to ride a bit of a wave if they if they manage to get the results on Sunday. Yeah, it's funny if you're thinking about this, there's, there's quite a lot of parallels to last season in terms of where the fixtures lie in their sort of significance in the season. So uh, Wolves at home, for some reason, I know it was just a kind of a scrappy 1-0 win um, just before New Year last season, but it comes straight after Leicester away, which is obviously just after the Club World Cup. And yeah. obviously the way they won that Leicester game was so impressive, one of the best performances of the club tenure. Um, but they still had to go and beat Wolves at Anfield. It was almost a game that people took as a given. And I think, yeah, this one does feel similarly significant. I know they, they don't have that huge lead that they had last season. Um, but in terms of building momentum, again, off the back of kind of last night and kind of, yeah, responding after the Brighton disappointment, it does feel massive. And I think if you look ahead to the December schedule in general, you reference Fulham up next. Um, and I think, is it Tottenham? Is, a straight, is the one after that? Um, yeah. They do need to kind of get a run of wins together here. And I think relative to what their sort of rivals have, I know it's probably a little bit early still to be talking about Spurs as genuine title contenders, but they are up there. So you, you have to kind of treat them with respect. But they've got Arsenal um, this weekend and then they've got a run of tricky games coming up after that. Um, and, you know, City have got United coming up soon as well. So teams who Liverpool expect to be competing with this season are going to be dropping points throughout this period. And I think... Yeah, we've not seen a consistent run of wins. The results have been kind of more or less fine, really, since the Villa debacle. Um, but they need to now put that Brighton thing behind them and just kick on. Yeah, I think this weekend, well, the Wolves games are always hard, really. They're always an opponent, but I don't particularly look forward to playing. And I know they won't have Raul Jimenez, obviously. Um, but they've still got really tricky players who are in good form. Um, yeah. I watched them the other night against Arsenal. Neto and Podence in particular are, are really quick, skillful players who can cause problems. So, and they're playing a different system now, which makes it a slightly, slightly unusual challenge um, compared to what you're used to with them. So, yeah, I do expect it to be a tough one. Um, but if Liverpool can get the three points and then get that that full week off uh, before Fulham, it feels like you're really nicely set set up going into Christmas period. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Okay, well, we uh, we want to bring you in on some of the things we're writing on Liverpool.com this week, and they are some of our collaborative pieces. And we're going to do a little bit of quick fire of those pieces on here, and uh, give you a bit of a bit of a chance for interaction on the comments, etc., on YouTube. So let us know what you think, and um, we'll, uh, we'll we'll get round the room now. So the first one we're going to build up to is our sort of yearly awards, and we're starting this week with moments of the year. Now, an obvious one stands out, um, but we know that obviously there's different things that mean different things to different people uh, in Liverpool's uh, 2020 odd <laughs> calendar year, should we say. So, so Mark, I'll come to you first. Um, when I say the obvious one, I come to you because I know that uh, you told us you've picked it. Yeah, I mean, you know, as someone who grew up, you know, obviously supporting Liverpool from an early age and dreaming of seeing 
Liverpool winning the Premier League title, you know, that is, and it probably always will be, the moment it was confirmed, will live with me forever, personally, you know, obviously it wasn't watching the game, um, which is probably the only thing that probably hinders it a little bit, but, you know, it was just, just seeing, you know, I think I had Sky Sports News on at the time when it was confirmed, you know, just seeing some of like, the club legends, you know, Kenny Dalgleish there, you know, almost crying with, like, happiness, and pretty much everyone watching that, you, you can't help but be moved by things like that, and, you know, seeing Klopp get crying as well, you know, when when it was confirmed, you know, it was a very an emotional moment purely because, you know, there was a time when obviously after lockdown there was a obviously there was doubt about whether the season would restart again, whether it was getting null and void, or there were shouts some from naysayers saying things like that. So to have it get over the line, albeit not in the circumstances anybody would have wanted, you know, no fans, no crowd, no parade, all those things there that, you know, in a perfect world we would want back. But at the moment if you'd have asked me, you know, any time in my childhood that I would be alive to see Liverpool win the Premier League title in any way, shape or form, I'd happily snap your hands off for it. Joel, what about you? I was going to ask you first, just so I don't take your one and see what's left. Mine is actually, this sounds mad, so so I need a bit of context to this. I couldn't really celebrate the league win for, for matters known to myself, which I won't go into. Um, and I'm really short as... I hated the, the behind closed doors thing. If I'm honest, it really tarnished it for me. I, I've got to be. I've got to be perfectly honest. And the fact that we haven't had to a parade to celebrate it, um, it was it was great. It was emotional. It was everything else. But yeah, that that really took a shine off it. Mine is actually Tiago Thursday. Like, <laughs> yeah. Genuinely, honestly, like that, that 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 day was just. I don't know, even down to sort of the club's video content and everything else, and then Jota comes off the back of it. But it was it was sort of the reason you, you remember why you love football in many senses, in that, you, you know, that childhood excitement. And after everything we've gone through in the year with lockdown and everything else, and the fact that we were, we were after Thiago, but really we weren't, or really we was, and it was just all his mixed messaging. To sign one of Europe's best players... Just really, just stoked that sort of, yeah, childish excitement that that makes you fall in love with the game. So that was mine, to be honest. I had a little think about it, but yeah, that that's what mine's going to be. Yeah, it'd be nice if he still existed and played games of football. But we had that day. That day was <laughs> that day was lovely. Yeah, um, there, there was two that stuck out for me. What one? I'm surprised no one's mentioned it already. Is is Salah against Manu at Anfield? Um, yeah does feel kind of a little bit of a cheat answer because there's like a pre-pandemic world and there's the post um but it's still in 2020 so i think for most people that is the definitive when liverpool definitely won the league moment um the celebration of allison and everything um that's one i mean i have one i think slightly weirdly but for me it sticks out is the most i think I've, I've celebrated a goal maybe behind closed doors but at home in a long time was the the Trent free kick against Palace in the 4-0. So it was the first goal Liverpool had scored um, post-project restart. And it just felt the way that game was going, uh, being like a frustrating kind of start, Liverpool being dominant but hadn't got the breakthrough. And as soon as he scored that, you knew they were going to win. And as soon as they won that game, you knew that it was basic. It was always going to be a matter of time, but that, that game just solidified everything. And then you could look forward to the Chelsea City game the next night and, yeah, there was something about Trent scoring that goal, which just felt like, yeah, finally, after three months, we're going to get this thing over the line. 
Yeah, absolutely. Three good shouts there. All right, another another collab running um, this week, which I think is out Friday. So be sure to check out Liverpool.com for that. Is the player that Liverpool have sold that you would have back now? And have we put a limit on this in terms of is it Klopp tenure? I think, I think we, we said Klopp tenure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Klopp tenure and Coutinho isn't allowed. So if you if you're getting involved at home or whatever, then they're, they're the rules, they're the stipulations. Mark, I'll come back to you. Uh, well, um, it's an interesting one because I think I've said before that given the current uh, predicament Liverpool find themselves in, they could do with another centre back. And the first thing that person that came to my mind was Mario Sacco, who oh during God. his time, who during his time at Liverpool, I absolutely loved the dates. You know, still have a fondness for him. But when I actually properly sat down with my head and thought about it, I mean, I I went with Danny Ings. Um, I personally, when he left, I was good to see him go because he was just a player that who. When he was here, he absolutely loved a bit when he was there. You know, he gave everything and had, you know, you felt sorry for him with the fact that he had bad, so much bad luck with injuries. Um, and I've seen him go on and doing so well at Southampton. You can't help but be happy for him. Um, and then the fact that Liverpool could do right now with a backup striker sometimes, you know, with Diego Carrigi not firing, um, the fact that they could do with someone who gets you a goal in any situation, albeit his fitness levels aren't at the best. But for me, he'd be the one I'd choose. Can I just ask why Sacco and not Lovren? Um, I don't know. I mean, I just have more of a fondness for, for Sacco for some reason. I can't explain it. Um, I mean, I could easily point to the fact that the Dortmund game when they won 4-3, but they both scored that night, so that, I can't have that as an excuse either. But I don't know. Just have, yeah. Good old mama, do I? Whatever happened there. He's been vindicated as well, which, you know, let's not go into that. Joel, um, do you know yours? I do. I'm scared, a little bit scared about the comments. Um, I might be. I, I think this, I know what you're going to say. It is Emre Chan. Um, I always really liked him, to be honest, as a player. I know he frustrated a lot of people and he, he had the occasional kind of horror game. Um, but I think, yeah, where, where Liverpool are now, um, the prospect of a player who can play centre back and centre mid, you um, kind of knew the system. Klopp really liked him as well. He didn't want to lose him when he did. It was purely a contract thing, like we're kind of seeing now with Wijnaldum, albeit that was earlier in, in Chan's career. He's had a bit of a funny time since leaving Liverpool, went to Juventus, obviously never really established himself and has kind of had, had good games at Dortmund, um, but never really become the player I think people thought he once could be. Um, but you think he's still only 26 um, and I, I still think if he was at Liverpool, he'd be getting games regularly, especially given the in- injury situation now. And there is a part of me which would have liked to have seen what kind of player Chan developed into if he had a couple more years under clock um, in this team. So, yeah, that's my answer. Yeah, I, um, I am. I'll go for Dejan Lovren. I just think he's, he's won the centre. He's won the Champions League. He's won the Premier yeah. League. Um, if he's in that squad now, if he's fit now, then it solves a myriad of problems basically um, and you could play him and Joel Matip and I'd say that you wouldn't necessarily have a world of worries if you did so um, so I'll go Lovren on that one I'm surprised um, no one said Moreno I'm surprised anyone would say Moreno to be honest um, last one is goal you've celebrated most in a stadium now I I haven't had a chance to think about this. I'm gonna I'm gonna restrict it to Anfield because it's obviously the mm. context of Liverpool being um in a stadium with supporters for the first time since March. Come Wolves on Sunday. 
So, Mark, I'll come back to you. Can you think of one off the top of your head? Yeah, I mean, as soon as you ask, as soon as I bring it up, I mean, I'm going to hop back to your play that you picked is uh, Lovren's against uh, Dortmund in the 4-3, you know. Now, that game will, will always stand out for me personally. I think I was at top of the Anfield Road end. I was at the opposite end of the stadium when Lovren scored that goal. I think I've mentioned in a piece before that I've written that, um, you know, at the time, I didn't know even who scored the goal who, um, until I got outside the stadium because it was that loud. It was that, you know, they could feel the stand shaking. It was just a feeling I've, I've personally never felt in this stadium before and probably never will again. Um, you know, it will stay with me forever. It was probably the, I mean, it was all, you know, the three goals before that, you know, um, Sacco, who, again, I didn't know who scored that until after I got out of the stadium, then Coutinho's goal and then Origi's goal. It was an absolutely amazing game, but, you know, when Lovren's goal went in, you know, 90th, 90th minute, whatever it was, you know, absolutely outstanding. Joel, have you got one? Um, yeah, there's a couple that came straight to mind when you said it. One, I think you and I have mentioned before, was kind of a, a great kind of underrated game with a clock tenure is is the Leicester win in 1718 yeah. just before yeah. New Year. Um the second goal was Salah scores both that day, but the one when he spins Maguire and it's the winner. Um just just felt like a huge day that season really and kind of obviously in Salah's first season that was as we were kind of getting used to him becoming the world star he is today. Um and the other one is, is another game which I think has been massively lost sort of in in the whole Klopp story. Um, but I was in the cop for when we beat Arsenal 3-1 um, at Anfield in 16-17. It was after that dreadful January where I think we won one in nine games yeah. or something. Yeah. And then there was that Arsenal game where we, we go 2-0 up quite quickly. Um, yeah. And then they get a goal back. I think it's Welbeck or something in the second half. And there's a, a brilliant forgotten goal where Alana kind of sends what Origi away down the wing. Yeah, and Origi cuts it across. And where I was sat was basically right in line with where he scored it. And... Yeah, that was one of them where you're just tumbling over seats and hugging everyone around you. Um, yeah, it felt huge. Yeah, absolutely. I remember that game. Um, massive. That that and the Tottenham game that season. felt. Yeah, they both came quite close together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Spurs one was where I really sort of had a good night out after that. I've got a couple that I can think of in Anfield. Um, I've actually got three, but I can't decide whether... I can't sort of separate them. So one is... Oddly, um, well, one is a game from 2000 and I think it's all four or five. It's Neil Mellor against Arsenal, um, where it drops on the half volley, honest to God. <laughs> I was on the last row of the old main stand and it absolutely went off. Um, it just come out of nowhere and we were getting battered and everyone had settled for a draw and then out of nowhere, Neil Mellor with a 25-yarder. Who knew? Um, that was really good. Uh, the other two was... Um, and this sort of shows my um, my sort of fondness for our, our neighbours over Stanley Park, if you like. But one of them was Van Dyke in the FA Cup against Everton. Uh, it was at the back of the cop and just, yeah, absolutely went to bits when that went in. Um, and the, the one which probably wins, which I'm probably going to plumb for, is the one on this day, actually. It's a really 90 plus six. <laughs> it's... Honestly, I sailed down the cop on some on just on people's heads. Basically, I, I just aquaplaned. It was unbelievable. It was in, just you couldn't put into words just how fiercely sort of euphoric it was, but secondly, funny. Um, so yeah, that's mine. Um, and that's literally that's something that happened on this day two years ago today. So 
So with that in mind, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you very much to Mark Wakefield and to Joe Rabinovitz. Check out Liverpool.com for those pieces. They will be on the site before the weekend and check us out for everything that you need for, for context that our matches, fixtures and everything else in between. Um, we've got you covered. So thanks very much. Stay safe. Hopefully see you all soon. Hopefully see you all soon back at Anfield too. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.